We want to take a moment here and recognize Luke Perry and everything that he's going through. If uh, anyone did not know, Luke Perry, who plays Fred Andrews on Riverdale, suffered a massive stroke recently, I think on Wednesday, last Wednesday. It was, yeah, it was either, I think, Wednesday or Thursday. And uh, as far as we know, he is just in the hospital trying to, you know, get better. We don't know the full details of the situation, but obviously uh, we're thinking of him and hopefully everything is okay with that. A stroke is never a good thing, but hopefully he'll be able to bounce back. Yes, hopefully everything is okay there. I know that there has been a lot of uh, support from his cast members of both Riverdale and 90210, so if you are the prayerful kind of person and want to give a prayer to him, otherwise you're just thinking about him. Yeah, we we love Luke Perry. And 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 that's, that's to be said for all characters on the show. If we are teasing them, it is purely as characters and not as the actors themselves. So, of course, course, we hope that he is doing okay. Hello and welcome to the Riverdale Recap Podcast. Today we will be talking about the 13th episode of Riverdale Season 3, Requiem for a Welterweight. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski and I am joined as always by the spectacular Kirsten McInnes. Kirsten, how are you doing this evening? I am doing okay. I am very tired and have a cold so I'm probably going to sound really gravelly, uh, but I'm going to try to minimize it for everybody. (laughs) I do. We do this for you, okay? <laughs> I like it. It's a nice little husky tone to your voice. Yeah, I sound. It's like a tone that not only dogs can hear, which is a refreshing change of pace. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, we've had to postpone this recording a couple times, mostly just because we've been lazy. But and it t- took me a really long time to watch this episode. Overall, I don't know how impressed I was. It, like it was just a fine episode. I think the Betty plotline was pretty interesting, but other than that, it. It had a huge disconnect between this episode and the previous one where I constantly had to like pause it and look back at my notes from episode 12 and try to remember what had happened because it seems like a significant amount of time has passed between episode 12 and episode 13 or at least the characters are treating it like it has. So I was a little bit confused a couple times. Well, and the other thing too is they gave us two weeks off of Riverdale between the last episode and this one. And so to get back into the universe of Riverdale was not easy. Yeah, definitely not especially since we were talking about season one so recently that I had that more on my brain than I did season three. But it's okay. I recovered and then we're we're just going to jump right in. So Sounds good. Yeah. So let's start off with the Jughead voiceover. Uh, it's actually a really short Jughead voiceover and gets cut off to where I waited for like five extra minutes to see if he would continue talking in voiceover. But no, he just didn't. It was just a dot, dot, dot. So he said- yeah, We just waited for him to pop back in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said, Griffin's gargoyles, serpents and ghoulies. Riverdale was a veritable jungle of mythological creatures, species jockeying for power, and at the dark heart of it all, dot, 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 and then nothing. And so I'm not really sure if he was implying at the dark heart of it all was his mom or family or what, because it was his mom walking in giving him breakfast, so I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think it was him implying that his mom is right in the middle of it all. And I would just like to say, serpents are not mythical creatures, Jughead. (laughs) 
Um, yeah. Yeah, this episode could be summed up as, like, here's all the random gangs in Riverdale and then Archie boxes. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, it's just so bizarre. And I... (sighs) I just can't bring myself to care about Archie boxing. No, he's not super... Uh, we'll, we'll get to it, but but yeah, the only other thing that made me upset about that Jughead scene at the beginning is the fact that Gladys walks in and says, wakey, wakey, here's your I breakfast. I was waiting for her to say eggs and bacon. I know, and she just didn't do it. It made me really I, mad because she was handing him eggs and bacon too. Yeah, it was right there, and I was like, Mary is going to be so excited if Gladys says, wakey, wakey, eggs and bacon, and she didn't do it so I was really sad I even typed in my notes I wrote wakey wakey and then I like waited nothing happened so I was very upset and anyway. like that's the like story of this episode is we waited and then nothing happened yeah pretty much the Archie stuff with the boxing Archie and Josie are just an established couple I guess and okay, you know what I'm totally fine with it they're actually like a kind of cute couple anything that's gonna get put Josie more into the center of the episodes I'm okay with and they make sense it makes more sense to me than anything else and I mean do we need th- they're never gonna give us like all the full details of how a relationship is built anyway so at least we know Josie helped him with his apparent alcoholism. So here are a couple of things that I like about the Archie and Josie couple. First of all it really really fits with the Archie comics Archie character of just like him being a guy who dates all these girls and like you know a lot of people think about him going between um, Betty and Veronica but in the comics he also does date a bunch of other people and has like all these other love interests and he's a player player kind of. I mean player's not really the right word but like in my impression of Archie in the comics is not that he's like dating all these girls it's just that for no like clear reason girls are interested in him and then he just like turns and looks at all the the hot girls and can't focus on one but I don't think he ever is like dating around in the comics. Well the other thing is like especially when the comics started it was a little bit of an older time where like I always use my barometer to be Boy Meets World of like early 90s of back in the day like people I feel like people especially at high school age like they just went on more dates with random people like it wasn't like oh you go on one date you're a couple it was more like oh you want to get to know someone so you go just like hang out with them on a date so I kind of I don't know it, it, it seems a little more realistic that he could have gone on dates with a lot of people well and Archie's not from the 90s it's from like the 50s what? so they're right. like looking for a spouse <laughs> it's like if they were to actually date it would be like very serious business <laughs> so that's why I think it's kind of more so he just like can't look at one woman he has to look at everyone but like yeah so I guess this is like the dark gritty CW version of courtship <laughs> but so I, I like him and Josie the only thing that's a little confusing is like Riverdale as a show makes sense when you watch it in real time where there's like several months between seasons and like you kind of forget things and stuff and it's a long time but if you actually just sat down and watched season one season two season three like boom 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 back to back there is like just sort of a weird space in the middle where all of a sudden Josie is friends with Archie like that did not happen she was like very anti-Archie for a really long time and then all of a sudden she's dating him like there really wasn't a smooth transition into that well and maybe she was anti-Archie the whole time because she had a crush on him and he did not notice her <sighs> I I guess but it's just like two episodes ago we had the whole her and I don't know was it Sweet Pea or Fangs one of the two oh Sweet Pea yeah. oh I miss uh, and like never mind I hate Josie and Archie right. because I love Josie and Sweet Pea because the whole thing with Josie and Sweet Pea was like, oh, this isn't gonna work because she can't, like, commit to him. Well, well, but then she commits to Archie in, like, two seconds? I don't know. I'm just, that's well, the only thing that bugs me. And it's like, what? So he, she couldn't commit to Sweet Pea because he's a criminal? It's not like Archie's pure, clean, 
green and I, shiny I on the was. right side of the law. I think it, she couldn't commit to him because she had her like singing career and then she like didn't get into Juilliard and now she's whatever. Okay. I don't know, but it, it's it's fine. So, so Archie is like, I, I don't know what he's doing in terms of school, but because he walked out of the SATs, though again, it really should have only been the pre-SATs based on his age. It's fine. Whatever. I also like that. What was the sentence where he's like, I just like, I'm not going to graduate high school. I ran out on the SATs last week. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he was talking about how he, like she, uh, Josie was like, oh, we, I need to go to school and I need to concentrate on like, I don't know, college applications or something. And he says, oh, yeah, I don't need to worry about that. Like, I'm I'm the ex-convict who, who walked out of the SATs as if those two things are like yes. related at all. <laughs> Thank you. I knew there was like some sort of crazy dichotomy there, but I couldn't remember the specifics and I, of course, didn't write it down. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, Archie, enough. Like, you're not even, he's not even like, like, I guess he's an ex-con because he was in jail, but like his name was cleared. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it's, it's <laughs> it, like he was innocent. He was falsely convicted. It's not really the same thing. Also, Archie is like, oh, there, there aren't any boxing scholarships. Okay. I looked it up. To be fair, there's only like two, but there are technically boxing scholarships. So why does Archie think and everyone around him think that everything he does, he's a good enough at to get a scholarship? Like he's just the most basic dude. He has nothing like special about him. He would have to be so good at stuff to actually be eligible for scholarships. And he's not that good at anything. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I honestly think that he probably should have stuck with like singing or something. I He probably should have stuck with football. Yeah, probably. But he didn't have a passion for football. I don't think he has like a passion for boxing either. I think it's like a weird like he's addicted to boxing kind of no, like he using just, it as an outlet. Yeah, he just has an anger problem. He's not yeah. passionate about boxing. Yeah. So boxing keeps him in a good headspace and he goes and he's boxing with Mr. Keller. Oh, that was the other thing. So he's apparently like a really good boxer, except like he was a terrible wrestler. And I know those two aren't the same thing, but like just when you're talking about hand-to-hand combat-y type stuff, you would have think that they would be a little more well, <laughs> close together. I don't know. I mean, I get the impression, and I could be completely wrong, that wrestling is a lot more technical and it's about like full body movements yeah, and probably. it's about pinning people down and it's it's a lot more precise. Whereas with boxing, it's a little bit more just about like hitting something. However, he's not a really good boxer because Mr. Keller's like, you're projecting where you're going to punch and you are not protecting your face. And those are like the two most basic parts. Like you have to keep your face protected at all times. And like, I'm really, really bad at that too. I used to do kickboxing and it was like, Kirsten, you have to keep your hands in your face and don't like lead with your face when you go to punch something. So like, I'm not good at it either, but I'm not sitting here trying to make a profession out of it. So yeah, I I don't really know what Archie's whole thing is. Based on the last two episodes when Josie was talking about Mr. Keller boxing, what she said was he goes to the gym and he boxes to get his emotions out and stay in shape. That Mm -hmm. is very different than saying, oh, and by the way, there's like a secret boxing fighting ring thing that's happening with like spectators and bets that goes on there. Like I thought he was literally just like boxing at the gym. I didn't think it was like a thing where there are fights that you get into. Well, and I think he just kind of was probably boxing at the gym to get his aggression out. And then maybe Archie gave him a job by hiring him as his boxing coach. So there you go. He he's employed. I don't think that that's. I know. I'm not counting that. They never. They did. They did not ever say that money was being exchanged. No. Mr. Keller still has zero job. He is just at the gym. Okay. Well, he's just at the gym. And like, I get that. I I guess there would be boxing matches. I don't understand what the area of Riverdale has to do with um you know teens 
getting into fist fights. Like first there's this fight club in the jail and then I guess is that fight club gone now? I, and that's so there's what like I was a- gonna say. Like why are they not just going there to watch stuff if they want to make bets? Like this seems like I thought this was gonna be like legit then. It's I mean this seems definitely yeah. more legit than the like, forcing the criminal boys to fight but. Mm. Well I guess that maybe with the warden being gone that maybe that fight club is gone now or something and so then they needed a new outlet for all their weird illegal sports betting i don't know but it's just weird how the people from this area want to watch teen boys fight it's it's all very weird um also in my notes i just have written here oh look mob boy is back because i could not think of elio's name for a while i okay i love elio <laughs> yeah elio's back elio is just like around all the time it's great so he wants to hire archie to lose this fight against this guy randy and archie's like yeah sure because okay so explain this to me archie wants to make a name for himself so that he can get more fights and so he thinks the best way to make a name for himself is to lose a fight that doesn't you would think he could just wait a little while longer get a fight and win and that would make a better name for himself than losing to a sketchy dude okay well here's what you need to know about archie is he's not very smart um he wants to get into an official boxing match he is sick of just hitting mr keller's blocks he wants to actually fight someone which whatever archie like just go pick a fight with someone at school it doesn't have to be an official boxing match and so when mr keller says like no you're not ready for a match because you project where you're going to punch and you don't protect your face etc etc archie's like well i just want to do any fight and so when he sees an opportunity even if it's to lose he thinks okay great this is me becoming a real boxer because i'm doing a match even though that's so dumb he's the dumbest but he just wants to get in that ring yeah yeah i don't know i i just don't i can't really follow this whole desire to fight thing but that's that's fine you know i just personally don't get it kickboxing was different because we wouldn't like i never got to the point of actually fighting someone it was just like (laughs) kicking blocks and like doing a bunch of push-ups and stuff and me laying down being like i don't have to be thin i can just be funny instead (laughs) which is how any like intense exercise class i go to other than spin class goes is me just laying down being like i'm done me every time that i see a little debbie snack cake and i'm like jk who needs to diet (laughs) diets i just ate a giant cinnamon bun for lunch so (laughs) it's fine i can be chubby like a raccoon okay Um, also, speaking of people with jobs, Elio clearly has several jobs because he's in charge of the boxing circuit and the sports bets. He's also just like, I think has casinos. I'm not sure. All I know is- Yeah, and he, like, does he even live in Riverdale? I thought he <laughs> lived like in New York. Yeah, they're not, like all of these mob families were not from Riverdale, which is why this is extremely bizarre. Uh, and then like, how old is Elio? Like, obviously he's not in high school anymore or he's like homeschooled, I guess, uh, because he he, I want like I wonder how he did on his SATs. Yeah, I I assume that he's a little bit older. I I mean I he think. has to be. He has yeah. to be. But but he also I, I don't know. I, I like Elio, but I don't like the fact that we see pretty much no Kevin and pretty much no Sweet Pea and Fangs and like several of the other characters that I would like to see, and instead we get a lot of Elio. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but I I don't know. Stick with some of the people that we have that we don't get to see. Even still, like why couldn't you know Gladys have a fight that she was trying to rig? Sure, she's like a. Yeah. Cr- 
criminal element that's local. Like, it actually makes sense that it, she would be in Riverdale yeah. trying to do this, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Or just, what, like, what if it was JB and, like, Jelly Bean walks up and is like, hey, Archie, here's Randy. You're going to fight him. Um, I would be living for that. that would Gosh, be so she's so great. cool. I want her that to would become be a bigger character, too. Um, I, I don't know if I, mm, I don't know how I feel about JB, to be honest. Anyway, so then Archie agrees to, like, lose this fight for money, but then he can't stop telling people that he's going <laughs> to lose this fight on purpose. Like, it's like he can't handle losing without people knowing, like, it's not on purpose. But I actually like that. I like that it's not, like, the suspense of him not telling people. I like that he's being honest with Mr. Keller and he's being honest with Josie. And you can tell that he's starting to realize, like, oh, maybe this was a bad decision that I did this. Yeah, it's just stupid. Like, he just, he can't do anything right and it just drives me crazy. Like, if you're gonna make this arrangement, just do it. Like, these are not people you want to mess with. I don't know. So he tells everyone. He tells Josie. Josie is so mad about this. She's like, like, you're not, this isn't the person that I thought you were. Which, okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure this is exactly who Archie's been for the last season, at least. Do they know each other that well? Really, Josie? I don't know. What did she mean? Like, this is not the person I thought you were. You guys started dating because Archie got drunk and was throwing a fit. I don't even remember what he was doing. All I remember is her, like, pushing him into the bathtub and turning on a cold shower right onto him. Which, like, he could have gotten sick or something from that, you know? Also, why Archie keeps going on and on about the five thousand dollars he's gonna get i'm sorry why does archie need money like is this a plot line i i didn't realize that archie needed money well you see there's no scholarships for boxing so he needs to do something to pay his way into college that he's certainly not getting into anyways. i don't think he knows how much college costs because five thousand dollars is a drop in the bucket yeah, he probably thinks five thousand dollars is gonna cover his whole education gosh yeah it's like four know. classes or something like that um but archie finally he decides you know what it's cool i'm not gonna lose the fight i'm and he, he sort of tries to back out of it with Elio and Elio's like yeah well we're just gonna kill you then so that's fine. Yeah it escalated so fast like how much money does Elio have riding on this that he's like yeah okay kill him. Uh, Yeah I don't know but then and the other thing is that's kind of interesting is like the way that Mr. Keller handles this whole thing where he's like he's down to help and he's going to coach Archie and you would think as like an ex-sheriff he would be trying to shut down this betting situation. He doesn't owe anything. He doesn't owe the town of Riverdale anything legal. No, I I don't know. It's just, it was sort of interesting. Oh, here's a like 16 year old kid. Yeah, I'm going to try and make sure he doesn't die, but I'm not going to like pull him out of the fight. I'm just going to train him up. I don't know. It it just seemed a little bit out of character for Mr. Keller, but I I was fine with it. I like, I like their bonding. I'm glad that at least he's in the show. So there's that. I mean, I wish it was, I'd rather see Kevin, but yeah, but like how's Kevin reacting to Moose being gone? Well, we'll get to that. (laughs) Not well. Not well. Uh, So Archie uh, tells Elio the deals off and Elio's like that's okay Randy you're just gonna kill him and then they have the fight and uh Josie's singing at the speakeasy in the background which is kind of uh, some nice ambiance onto that I just Riverdale really likes mixing in an intense scene with a scene of someone singing yeah and it's usually Josie occasionally Veronica but I'm okay with it really just like in the fight Ar- it seems like Archie is finally gonna win but then obviously like they paid off the ref or something to ensure that yeah I don't know how boxing is scored I was very confused on that I thought it was it's pretty obvious who was getting the punches in if it was like three dings of the bell or whatever like definitely the first two times Randy was up and then like Archie did manage to like hold his own at the end which was good so I guess okay everything's fine like you 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 think this kind of plotline is over like I'm sure it's somehow they're gonna try to find a way in the next couple episodes for Elio to come back and be like mad at Archie but like he did lose it so it's okay I guess and for free yeah 
you didn't have to pay him. Yeah, so I think it was fine. He did get like super beat up though. Archie was super bloody. So okay. yeah, I hate I hate sports where people get punched in the face. But the, also the whole thing about Randy potentially killing him is I I don't know. I, I just don't really get how legal. Like the, I thought this was presented as a legit fight. So if it is presented as a legit fight with like not sketchy circumstances going on in the judging or the refing or whatever, like wouldn't Randy get in trouble for just murdering someone? Yeah, um, I'm sure the rules of boxing state, oh, you can't try to kill someone. Boxing definitely frowns on murder, but I think it's more so, um, as does this podcast. Yeah, we do not endorse murder. That is like out of all the things that we do not endorse, murder is top of the list. I think it goes back like at the beginning, they talk about how the last time Randy fought someone, they like hit their neck on a stool or something and they like haven't walked since or whatever, like a real million dollar baby scenario. Um, And so I was really worried the whole fight, like, because Keller would put the stool out for Archie to sit down between rounds. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to forget to take the stool out and it's going to be like a really disgusting, bloody situation. Um, So I assume it would be more of like an accidental murder rather, like it would be made to look like it was a routine part of the fight rather than uh, like an overt, like it's not like he's going to like pull out a shiv or something like Joaquin. So then, yeah, the fight's over and Josie's like, hey, want to go get some milkshakes? And Archie's like, I've got another idea of what we could do. And so I guess we've got some implied banging situation happening here. I personally would have taken the milkshake, but that's just me. I would also rather have a milkshake than sex with Archie Andrews. Um, I mean, like, or there's, is there any reason why you can't do both? Well, I mean, I feel like you don't want a lot of dairy right before you have sex. That's pretty heavy. So I guess you could like. You'd have to have the milkshake after. You could go to Slamtown first and then go get the milkshake. Ah! Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay. Um, Because I'm going to say, like, I would have to be pretty attracted to someone to choose sex with them over a milkshake. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like one is going to make me happier in the long run, maybe. I don't know. Then there's that whole, like, burning calories, gaining calories. I was just going to say. (laughs) Yeah, but the thing is, is a milkshake, like ice cream, um, heating it up to body temperature burns a lot of calories, okay? (laughs) You keep telling yourself that. I saw a scientific study on it. I didn't read the whole article, but Uh I'm just accepting that as fact. Okay. So I can eat as much ice cream as I want. Yeah, sounds about right. It's fine. So shall we talk about the whole Veronica plotline? The Veronica plotline was such a mess. I honestly wish we didn't have to talk about it because I'm still kind of confused, to be honest. I'm super confused of what's going on here. Veronica (laughs) talks to Hiram and Hiram's like upset about all the missing drugs and stuff from his prison. And Veronica's like, you should take this as an opportunity to not do illegal stuff anymore. It's like, when has Hiram ever expressed an interest in not doing illegal stuff? Well, it's also like... Hiram suspects the Joneses of scheming and, like, planning his attack from the start. And Veronica's trying to, like, basically cover for everyone this whole thing. She's covering for herself because she's the one who burned the drugs. She's covering for her mom because her mom is the one who arranged to get Hiram shot. Although questionable of whether or not she actually knew that or not. And she is also covering for the Joneses because they're the people who Hermione had the deal with to buy up all the drugs in the first place. And so Veronica owes Gladys money and she's also trying to protect her mom. So there's just a lot of, like, things. Veronica's trying to handle right now. The thing is, like, they're having all these conversations being like, oh, some equipment was stolen from my prison. Why not just come out and say drugs? Like, you both know you're talking about drugs here. You don't need to be, like, beating around the bush. Like, can we just talk I about just, it? And it's not like Veronica's ever been able to successfully get Hiram caught on anything, so who cares? Yeah. Just so say drugs. Veronica and Gladys meet up and talk, and she gives a weekly payment to Gladys, uh, and is sort of informing Gladys, like, hey, watch your back, because my dad may be after you, and Gladys is like, 
like, uh, well, that's your problem. So you may want to figure that out. Uh, and, and, and basically they come up with like some kind of plan where Veronica is going to spy on Hiram or just like give Gladys all the information about what Hiram's plans are, which is kind of what she was doing already. So I'm not sure why we needed to like come out and say this. And I think Veronica decides, you know what? It's fine. If there's going to be drug trade in Riverdale, I'd rather the Gladys have it than my family. Speaking of which though, so Gladys, her plan was to come back to Riverdale. Like I kind of thought her plan was, oh, I'm going to buy up all the drugs from Hermione and like sell them in Toledo. I thought that was the original plan and she only came down here because she didn't get the money or she didn't get the drugs or whatever. I thought that she now decide, like I think that originally that was her intention, uh, but then when she realized she could like try to take over Riverdale herself, she was like, ah, yes, Riverdale, the most desirable space in the eastern seaboard. I would like to run this town. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, whatever. I mean, there's just like the population of Riverdale does not seem big enough to support a drug industry, but it doesn't seem big enough to support any of this crime. But one thing to note is that normally small towns have like the most people doing drugs. Like, um, McLean's did this. It's a Canadian magazine, did this like list of like the most crime filled towns in Canada and they split it up by every crime. And Cold Lake, which is the town I went to high school in, which had, I think, 15,000 residents, was in the top five in the country for cocaine dealing. Oh, wow. Small towns do a lot of drugs. Like, people are too bored to live drug free, I guess. So, I guess that's realistic. Riverdale just doesn't seem like it's all that. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to tell. I mean, like, there's definitely a lot of drug situations going on, but, uh, I, yeah, no, I don't know. So, Veronica talks with Hiram again, basically says the same thing. I want you to go clean, no more drugs. And he's like, eh, um, not sure about that, you know? Well, he's uh, like, I think I'm gonna keep doing drugs. Yeah, they want to keep doing drugs. I think I'm going to try to grab control of the ghoulies. Side note here, because the, the, there's, like, this whole thing with the ghoulies not having a leader anymore because Penny Peabody was killed. It was, like, how was Penny the sole leader of the ghoulies? Like, she wasn't even born a ghoulie. Like, she switched over to them. Like, did they not have any other leadership? Well, I mean, she probably killed them, I guess. But I also was under the impression that the ghoulies, like, didn't we already know that the ghoulies were mostly the gargoyle gang at this point? And wasn't Hiram in charge of the gargoyle gang? So doesn't he already have the ghoulies? Yeah, it, the, the whole, like, like I said, this whole episode is just all the gangs in Riverdale that make no sense. Because, okay, so, like, to follow this through line, Hiram says that he's going to go try to gain the ghoulies. So Veronica runs to Gladys and says, hey, you should probably go get control of the ghoulies because that's what my dad wants. And if you can get control of them, he won't have them. So then Gladys tells Jughead, hey, go get the ghoulies. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not sure why Gladys just doesn't get them herself. I mean, she basically does by the end of the episode. But, like, just the train of, like, why the ghoulies are getting taken is very confusing. Well, I think Gladys is trying to make herself seem like as much of a non-criminal entity as possible to the town. And so it really looks better for her if Jughead is the one doing all the gang activity because then that's like one less yeah. thing she is linked to, right? Poor Jughead. He's just being used in all of this. No, he just was like happy his mom is home. Yeah. And she's trash. And then uh, Hiram asks Hermione if she's been in touch with the governor because, and Hermione's like just such a bad liar about all of this. Um, yeah. Because so Hermione paid off the governor, I think, to like stop. Yeah, that's being where involved. the money went that she got from Gladys. Right. Yeah. So just to follow, like, because there's some complicated stuff where by the end of the episode, Hiram tells Veronica, like, when everything comes out and Veronica basically admits to everything that she did, Hiram's like, okay, well, you owe me 
$75,000. So I'm trying to figure out here, how in the world does Veronica owe Hiram $75,000? So Hermione makes a deal where she's going to get rid of all the drugs, sell them to Gladys in return for, let's say, $75,000. She's then then going to give the $75,000 to the governor. Why? To, like, what? what is, to, why is she buying him off? I, I don't really understand what the governor did that they would need to pay him off for. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but so she, she I guess, gives that money to them. So mm-hmm. then Gladys comes into town because she doesn't get the drugs because Veronica burned them. So Veronica owes Gladys $75,000 worth of drugs, I guess, because we're assuming Gladys already paid for them. Again, why yeah. she already paid for them makes no sense. You yeah, would think you would want to get business. them first. Right. So, so Veronica now owes both her and her father $75,000. Okay, I guess that makes more sense because the money went to the governor. I was thinking that Hermione just had this money all time at, at the time, but I guess she already paid it off. No, because okay. if Hermione had the money, they would have just given it back to Gladys right away. Right. I think what happens here is that Hiram doesn't know that Hermione was selling the drugs to Gladys yeah. when they got burned. So Hiram doesn't know that Veronica's already paying Gladys for these drugs. So he just assumes he needs to be paid for the drugs, not knowing he's already been paid for the drugs, but it just went to the governor. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now the, the question I'm still confused on is like why the governor got paid off. I probably could go rewatch the episode and figure that out, but... No, but you know. I don't think it's ever really made clear. Like, like Hermione's like, I just paid off the governor to protect us, but it's never yeah. really clear why they had to. I, I'm, I'm sure it had something to do with like paying off the governor to basically keep them sort of more in control of Riverdale and like do with it whatever they want, meaning like we are kind of free from your jurisdiction, I guess. Uh, that's sort of like keeping Riverdale separate, I guess. Local government already does so much in like a small town. Like it's not like the governor or the state would be that involved in Riverdale anyways. They already have the mayor. They already have the sheriff. There's no need to pay off the governor, I don't think, unless it's for something that the governor's already done that we're unclear of. Like maybe, maybe. something with like the water investigations, but that would have gone to Kelly Ripa. Yeah, I thought that was all kind of already wrapped up with the whole water and the whole like quarantine. But, I, but I'm sure it's something to do with kind of if somebody, let's say, you know, Attorney McCoy goes to the governor and says, yo, there's sketchy stuff going down in Riverdale. The governor's going to be like, oh, well, like I'm close with the mayor. Like I think it's just sort of building that relationship so nobody else can have that contact. But it's I don't know. It's just very weird. Hiram comes to a deal with Gladys where he's going to go back to the prison stuff and she's going to sell the drugs as long as she ensures that there will be a steady stream of prisoners coming into his prison, which I guess is going to be somehow supplied by FP. So again, the, the thing that I'm just still not sure about with this whole like for-profit prison thing is just like you could lock up all of Riverdale and then like, okay, your money's gone. Like I, I there can't be that many criminals. The thing with a prison is like there isn't normally a separate prison for every town where it's like this is the prison for people arrested in this town. Like it would be normally there'll be like federal or state prisons and then depending on the like crime you're charged with, you would get assigned to, you know, whichever federal or state prison is closer to where you live or where you were convicted. So it's not like they have to arrest people from Riverdale for this to make sense. They would just need, you know, people from this area to be like the general region to be getting arrested. I guess that's true. Yeah. FP is not going to be arresting people from a no. farther area. Like FP, like it, it has nothing to do with FP filling that prison because like we don't know what the people in Riverdale are actually going to get arrested for or if it's going to be like a federal or state crime. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Like I feel like this whole series has kind of been created to like make a statement about for-profit prisons and like the prison industrial complex in the United States, but they like don't know that much about it to actually make a strong statement. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that. Like there's that. just 
just a lot going on where it's like they it's, it's another case of them wanting to make a bold statement about like an issue but just like so half-assed doing it yeah I, we've already talked about this veronica plotline more than i wanted to yeah anyways so. we can move on yeah let's move on to jughead jughead aka all the gangs in riverdale basically because he banished cheryl and tony all the girls are quitting the serpents and they are joining the pretty poisons my reaction to this was just lol 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 there are like five serpents left <laughs> jughead has like zero power but also here's the thing how many women were in the serpents to begin with and i don't girls? know i basically like, thought it was just cheryl it and was tony. just <laughs> cheryl and tony like i feel like this is just a symptom of the larger problem which is that they've been a largely misogynistic you know gang and they've been ignoring their women no the larger problem is that they're the serpents are completely made up of like kids at this point like seriously can we go back to like season two where you go into the white worm and there's like all these adults there where are all the adults probably in prison i guess but i i just i just really want that i just really want that back jughead has way too much pride because he should have just kept them in the gang to be the first place and they just keep going on about like oh we need to tell them what it means to be a serpent what does it mean mean to be a serpent now nothing you have no power you guys are still living in tent city and just like i just it's terrible and so we talked with tony trying to get her back in the gang and also this is another point pretty much every time they go to pops is when i wonder like what time period it's supposed to be just because like all the cars are very very old-fashioned in the parking lot of pops at all times they're very very i don't know they're they're old cars and i'm pretty sure we've seen before though that i am just thinking back when they went in the drive to the drive-in in the first season i think betty's family like probably has like a more normal looking car but well and like they have smartphones and stuff so yeah no i mean they talk about bumble all the time they this show is sponsored by bumble and so is this podcast (laughs) yeah it's very very weird and so jughead is trying to get tony back in the gang and tony's like i will only come back if i can be queen of the gang and um just let her be queen of the gang like betty is not gonna care they're like sorry can't do that betty's queen why like betty has not had any involvement with the serpent Betty since cares episode a lot. one. No, but she has not even been involved with the serpents. Like, she's not a serpent. It doesn't matter. She can be like, Jughead's first lady and Tony can be the queen at the same time. I feel like that's a weird power dynamic uh, and it just doesn't work that way. You, you obviously don't know very much about high school gangs. No, okay, pretend that Tony is the queen, okay? Mm-hmm. Cheryl is still gonna be co-queen. She's gonna like still be there, so Betty can still be there. You just have like four people running this gang. <laughs> well, somebody honestly needs to take charge because it is just it's trash yeah i don't know just multiple times in my notes i have bring back the og serpents i'm just not i'm just not happy about this yeah this it's all fallen to pieces right so that's gang number one gang number two the pretty poisons they are learning archery and cheryl i like how cheryl calls them the pretties and then tony just calls them the poisons (laughs) so that's fun don't understand in what universe is archery like a productive use of your time to be learning i well, if you're Cheryl, I mean, it's kind of like a less aggressive version of like learning the firearm care. I don't know. It's uh, whatever. It's just very bizarre to me. The poisons that fight fangs and sweet pea and they just, I guess, just like get beat up. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't understand why fangs is taunting them and acting like they're little girls all of a sudden when number one, they outnumber them like crazy. And number two, most of them were serpents to begin with. So you would think that he would like know most of them and realize that they're not just little girls i don't know well but the serpents have a history of undervaluing their female members yeah yeah like we've said i don't know so gladys wants jughead to grab the ghoulies i think she wants him to do this so that she can have control 
control of the ghoulies and mm-hmm. he, but like under him. But she's telling him to do it basically under the guise of like, you need more people in your gang because the serpents are dying, which is, which is true. I, I guess, I don't know, Jughead just like, <sighs> I never liked him being the leader to begin with, but he really needs to just like sit down and get his priorities straight. He also contributed a lot to this fall in the serpent's power by getting it all into G&G. And so mm-hmm. it kind of is his fault in a lot of ways. Well, that's what happens when you give like a 15 year old boy control of a gang. Yeah. All the adults leave and then half the kids leave too. Yeah. And then there's just like power struggles everywhere. Like Cheryl and Tony are in this thing because like Cheryl's just constantly like kind of trying to do nice things for Tony and Tony is just like getting upset with her about it because she's mad at the way that Cheryl handled the situation with uh, Fangs and Sweet Pea. And so Tony's like, yo, the poisons are mine. They're not yours. Which, yes, but they're only yours because Cheryl like formed them and gave them to you. So be a little more appreciative here. I don't know. I just feel like though it's also like one of those things where Cheryl and Tony are just so different that there's always going to be these little like confusions and mix-ups. Yeah, but like this was the whole last episode was them just like having these confusions and like getting in arguments. Like they need to sit down sometime and like, I don't know, there's only so many times that Cheryl's going to be able to mess up and like apologize for it. I don't know. I feel like they need to work out some of their relationship issues a little bit. They obviously need to see like a therapist or something. Yeah. So Jughead finds out, guess what? There's like only one ghoulie left. So kind of (laughs) not really an issue here. I'm just going to pretend that 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 he got that ghoulie on his side though. He seemed like a nice dude. I forgot his name already, but uh, oh, Vern. Yeah, he, he, he got Vern, which was cool. But he asked his dad, he asked FP like, hey, just so you know, I'm gonna need to get the ghoulies, but in order to do that, I'm gonna need you to give them immunity from the law, which like Jughead, you are all about not having criminals. So if you're trying to tame them and make them legal, why do you need to give them immunity from the law? Yeah, it's it doesn't make sense. It truly does not make sense. I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah, I, I whatever. But like FP is just like, sure, whatever. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know. FP is kind of useless. And so it turns out most of the ghoulies are gargoyles, which I feel like we already knew, like you said. I don't know why we had to ha- like spend 30 minutes of an episode trying to find this out. But Jughead goes to the gargoyle hangout, which is just like the most depressing thing I've ever seen. So here's the thing. For most of this season, the gargoyle gang has been seen as like this really scary kind of threatening thing and like kind of magical and stuff like that. This is the first time when it's really depicted as, oh no, they're just like a bunch of addicts who are real sad and like living in squalor and they're, I didn't really see them as like real threats. Like I didn't feel nervous for Jughead at all. I mostly just thought like, oh, this is like really depressing. Yeah, it was a big downer. I did not feel good about it. I did not enjoy this experience. Anytime we get someone talking about G&G that's like really into it, it's just a big bummer. Yeah, but like it, it was just, I, I don't know. I felt like it was presented a little differently this episode of being like, <sighs> well, like yeah, these are the like, only people still doing it, right? Like in general, most people aren't doing G&G I, anymore. I think, yeah, I think most people aren't doing it anymore. It's it's a little bit confusing. Yeah, so, so he's talking with this leader of the Gargoyles whose name is Kurtz and Kurtz just seems like super super out of it he's like really into G&G he's talking about how like the gargoyle gang is a prophecy and everyone else are just sacrifices waiting to be made so that's a little bit ominous I I'm also annoyed with the fact that Kurtz 
Woods is like the leader when like, where are the adults? It's just kids. Kids leading every gang. Uh, whatever. I, I don't even, I don't even know with this, with this episode. Yeah, it's just, it's like a very bizarre moment where it's like, what are these gangs doing? What is going on? Where are the adults? And why are the ghoulies like an asset? Obviously, they're just addicted to G&G. I wouldn't want these people in my gang because like, what, they're just gonna get the rest of the serpents addicted to G&G again, which we don't need. Like, I assume the plan is that, because because Gladys gets the ghoulies. She basically gets them and like brings them to Jughead and is like, here, tame them, whatever. And I, I don't know how she was able to do that, but like, why is she not just, I'm, I get what you're saying about like, she doesn't want to openly be involved in like illegal activity, except for the fact that like, she doesn't need to be, like, it doesn't need to be illegal activity if she's trying to tame this gang. And if Hiram is going to see through the whole situation, well, no, they already made that deal that she was going to be yeah. controlling them. Like she does want to use them to sell drugs. That's that, like, this yeah. is the confusing part is like, she does want to use them to sell drugs. And if that's the case and Hiram's already in on that, then why can't she just be openly in charge of the gang? But instead she's trying to pretend to like give them to Jughead so that Jughead can tame them. But Jughead's going to find out they're selling drugs eventually. Cause it's ah. like in the eyes of Hiram and Gladys, they both know what all of the pieces are on the board, but nobody else is I think supposed to see that like they're the major players. I guess Veronica also knows at this point. I don't know. It's just a big mess. Yeah, it really is. And I'm not really sure what's going. I'd love to see Jughead somehow tame them and get rid of all the drug dealing and all the drug using and all of the G&G stuff. But I don't know how. I I just feel like we're going to have at least one episode of, oh, the gargoyle gang is untamable. Great. So, okay. Yeah. And that'll be a really entertaining thing to talk about for sure. Yeah. So that pretty much was it for the Jughead plotline. We did get a tweet from Gregory McBean saying, I feel like there's nothing that makes Frail Mary happier than FP saying, I've got to go to work. Finally, one of these parents has a job. So yes, I definitely think that that was satisfying, except for the fact that like he's he's working, but he's not doing anything. Like I want to see him like arresting bad guys or something. Instead, he's kind of just like a figurehead sitting there being like, sure, Jughead, do whatever you want. And I, I don't know, like I, now that Gladys is back in town, we've all of a sudden got like her involved with all of this drug deal, gang stuff, Hiram. I want to see Gladys be a player in the FP Alice relationship and like have some drama there. That's what I wanted with her returning to town. And I'm just getting even more and more afraid that that's not ever going to happen. Yeah, it's very frustrating. I just, why can't they just give us what we want, Mary? Because the show is mean to us. <laughs> I thought you were going to say this show is bad. And I was like, Mary, no, admitting that she that. hates Riverdale. No, I would never say that. So Betty's just at home. It's a normal day. Everything's <laughs> fine. She's not living in the bunker, I guess. No, she's just chilling at home. I, I don't know. I still really want to know. Like, I need to. I need that deleted scene of her, like, getting the dead body off her bed or whatever, the skeleton that we just oh, never that was got. So yeah, like, okay. Yeah. Just, like, just what was the that. dry cleaning bill, do you think, after that? I hope she just threw away the sheets and got new ones. Like, yeah, that's But it looks like she has the same ones. I, yeah, it's frustrating. So Alice is getting her wedding dress altered because she's being baptized into the farm. Okay. Like, I know you wear white sometimes when being baptized. You don't need to wear your wedding dress. Ugh. I feel like normally if you're getting baptized, they have, like, a special robe that they'll put over you. Like, it's yeah. not like when a baby is christened and they have, like, a christening gown. It's like, if an adult's getting baptized, they normally will have, like, it's like a choir robe, only white. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Betty is clearly upset about this, and so she talks to Jughead, which is basically the only scene we have of any of these characters from any of these plot lines 
parents being together in the same room. Betty quickly tells Jughead, like, hey, I'm worried about my mom and the farm. And he's just like, why don't you just pretend to embrace the farm for a little while and maybe get her on your side because then she won't shut you out of these conversations anymore. Which, like, is the smartest thing anyone has ever said. Of course, Betty, like, completely ignores this advice, but it's, like, mm-hmm. kind of the stuff that we were saying with Veronica a few episodes ago of, like, why doesn't she just pretend to work with her dad and then, like, find out information on what he's doing? That's so much easier than being an open rebellion against them. So Be- Betty pretends for, like, exactly one second to be supportive of her mom <laughs> until she, like, sees that her mom has to sign these release forms or whatever for the baptism, which I just think is, like, I mean, I know that that's a thing with cults of, like, signing contracts and stuff so that the cult leaders can't get in trouble because I did a lot of research yeah. on cults recently. Oh, tell me more. Well, no, it was just mostly with all of the um, uh, Nexium stuff. Mm. Good old CW making me think about cults at all times. Good old C-dub. Yeah, so first off, what do you think of Alice's wedding dress? It is uh, a look and a half. It's got the puffy shoulders. It's got the long sleeves. It's got a plunging neckline. It's got a lot of lace. And actually, it looks a lot like my mom's wedding dress. I, I like most of it. The only thing I don't like is I think it's fine to have the plunging neckline, but then it also has that thing where like in the front of the gown, it's like a lot shorter. Like it goes up, like it has the opposite of like a, a V. On the it's a high-low. Yeah, not I'm not, um, not, not a fan of that. Like I wish it was the whole thing was longer. It actually did. It gave me such flashbacks to my parents' wedding photos because my mom didn't have, this is unrelated, but I don't care. I'm going to tell everyone. So my mom's wedding dress was very similar to this, except for not so much of the plunging neckline, but it had like the long lace sleeves and like the big shoulders. And then she had this hat. It wasn't a veil. It was almost like a tiny cowboy hat. <laughs> what? And it's like the most 80s wedding thing oh you can gosh. imagine. I will see if I can dig up a photo of this and I will tweet it out if I can find one. Oh like obviously gosh. they exist at like my dad's house, but I'm not there. So I will see if I can dig up a photo of my mom in this like jaunty little wedding cowboy hat. Like, yeah, the little wedding cowboy hat is the thing I'm most looking forward to seeing. This the hashtag for this episode is hashtag jaunty little cowboy hat. <laughs> jaunty jaunty wedding cowboy hat. What in the world is going on with Polly's pants situation? Is she in the 80s? She has the most like tight like quad and then like bell bottom jeans situation going on. I mean, it, bell like, bottoms are coming back, Mary. Are they? They are, and oh. I'm really not here for it because I don't look good in a flared pant. But there's a difference between the flared pant, American artist style jean and then a bell bottom no but like literally i can't do anything like that it has to be skinny at the bottom because i'm quite tall for a girl but i have the legs of someone much shorter than me so if my pants aren't just like tight they look very bizarre yeah i i'm just too short for bell bottoms it's just such a strange look and like if i were in proportion like maybe it would work but because my torso is so long and my legs are so little like i can't do it so if bell bottoms come back y'all can tear my skinny mom jeans from my cold dead hands because I will never let them go. Oh my gosh, that's so great. Yeah, so they all just seem super brainwashed and Betty's like, okay, forget this whole supportive thing. I'm gonna go back to trying and fighting the farm. So, oh look, it's Kevin. He's here for like a hot second. Okay, I literally, I missed this. Yeah. I didn't even see him. Turns out Kevin's joining the farm. So that's oh, how yes, he's never handling mind. the whole I did see this. Move never situation. Mind. And he's just 
like, yeah, I'm joining the farm because Evelyn is going to introduce me to some cute gay farmies. I'm sorry. What happened to Movin slash Coos? Like, are we just forgetting him? Like, I really thought Moose was going to come back. Yeah, no, Moose is gone. Or Moose will come back once Kevin is, like, happy with another man. And then it's going to be a real problem. And I, look, I have no issues with Kevin seeking out some relationships. But how did Kevin get brainwashed this fast? I, I just, ugh, Yeah, it went really fast. And it's like, I guess, like, Kevin almost got murdered and then his boyfriend left. So I guess he's been through a lot. But, like, I, yeah, I, it was very fast. So Betty calls up a bunch of ex-members of the farm because apparently a whole bunch of people have escaped from the farm. And I'm not really sure how she's getting these phone numbers, but she manages to finally meet up with one, some person named Martha. And Martha talks about how her sister Marigold and her joined at the same time, but Marigold drowned during her baptism, which really, really freaks out Betty. And they basically, they have this whole idea in the farm that you need to get as close to death as possible for you to see the truth. And then if you can survive that, um, survive an extreme ordeal, then that is how you will achieve ascension. And of course, Betty is like, oh my gosh, ascension, that is the same thing as G&G. Now, let's just pause here real quick and talk about the whole farm versus G&G stuff, because I know you've been championing for a long time that they are related in some way. And this is a huge point in that favor. It is. It is. I will give you that. But I do think that, like, the farm and, like, maybe the farm and the, like, OG G&G stuff, like, might be more related, especially because the farm has, like, bought the Sisters of Quiet Mercy and is now, like, taking up residence there. That's, like, a big point. But I don't think that the farm and Hiram are working together. Like, I think those are two completely different things. I think Hiram is using the G, like, G&G stuff just purely for a drug trade and it has, like, no other, like, mythical things behind that. Whereas I think, like, the farm is much more true G&G, kind of. Yeah, no, 100%. I've thought, like, the farm, I think, is the big bad for the end of this season and with it connecting with the G&G, it, like, finally brings this whole plot together of the season and, like, maybe things will make sense eventually, which, like, maybe maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but I'm just, like, so excited that they use the word ascension with regards to the farm because I was like, I knew it. I knew it all along. It's it's very similar. I mean, like, I kind of think that's, like, the whole thing that, like, Benjamin Button and um, Ethel and stuff were talking about the very beginning of the season, drinking the cups of poison, and that's how you're going to get to Ascension, and, like, needing to have that near-death experience or just straight-up death experience. The only thing that confuses me about this is they kind of established at the beginning that, well, at least Evelyn said that nobody at the farm had heard of G&G until Alice talked about it, which I think could easily be a lie. But the bigger question here is, like, does Alice know, like, does she recognize these are the same things? Because I kind of think she doesn't. I kind of think she's been, like, sucked in to the cult and doesn't realize yet that it's all the same thing because she seems, like, truly afraid of the G&G stuff and, like, she didn't even want to talk about it. Yeah, no, she 100% does not know that it's the same thing at all. She, because with G&G, she, like, has the experience of the principal getting murdered, right? Right. So it's, like, a whole big problem. And then with the farm, it's almost like because they come from this, like, holistic view of like we're fixing your life and we're taking toxins out of your life and you know all of that and like we're gonna fix you I think that when they go and say you will reach ascension when you're baptized it almost like doesn't click as the same thing because they just come from such different viewpoints right so to get on to the baptism which is kind of like the big scene of the episode a couple things first off is Polly already like baptized into the cult like do we assume that I I guess so I guess she probably is I I I don't know I, I just think it's a little weird that we don't like that she wouldn't have told that she wouldn't have told Alice exactly what happened or I don't know like there's just some stuff with I was kind of confused that Alice wasn't already fully in 
I I don't know. It was just like a couple things there. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where they didn't want us to know how connected everything was until this point in the season. So that's when she's getting baptized. I think Polly is definitely fully baptized. I think it has to do with like when her hair got chopped off or something like that. Like I hate her short hair, by the way, just like for the record. I don't Mm -hmm. don't hate it. I actually like it. Like I think she looks good with short uh, hair. I just think that this particular like bob is not quite right for her. Well, I just I did not like the way that she was wearing headbands before so i'm kind of glad that that's gone but I mean, that's just me. i'm okay i'm okay with like a really 90s headband yes so here's another thing that links well i guess it kind of links the cult and the, or the farm and the gng stuff is that like how the gng people had to have that chant what did you think of may the one become many and the many one um it's some communism and yeah. i don't like it <laughs> I'm not really sure. I, I guess it's like, I don't know. They're like the whole baptism thing. Like I, I know it's this sort of a plot line that we haven't met Edgar yet, but the the fact that all of the women are there and it's just the women, I don't know. There's just a lot going on. I, also, I'm pretty sure that this baptism thing was happening in the same room as the Gargoyle King like had been, like that statue oh, had been. yeah. It did look really familiar and I did not put that together. And it was also like this creepy bathtub, whereas like most places that have like a baptism pool it will be like bigger than that yeah because it's like normally you just stand in the water and then the person like pushes your head under for a second and then it's over it's not just like a creepy bathtub that perfectly fits you and then they hold your head underwater to like I don't, it was, it's just so like creepy like don't do this so now are you a big game of thrones person i uh i'm a pretty big game of thrones person so this did remind me a lot of the Greyjoy sort of baptizing ritual thing where they do also drown people because their whole thing is that like what's what dead may, dead never, may die. never die right so if you like they they drown you on purpose and then like you know give you cpr or whatever to cpr is that right i don't know mouth to mouth yeah. whatever yeah to to get you to come back which is basically what betty ends up doing she polly is holding her mom underwater and then betty pulls her out out and has to give her mouth to mouth and like i'm not sure what the whole what would have happened like would like some of the other people have stepped in and give her mouth to mouth or would they have just let her die i don't really know because like i, I think the whole point is let to her drown die. them. Like, yeah. they, I think they would have really let her die. Like, the scene where, um, oh, what's that girl's name again? Evelyn? Evelyn. When Evelyn's there, and they're all just standing, and they're literally drowning Alice, and Alice's arms just, like, slowly raise up, like, stop. Like, I'm, I can't do this. It was horrifying. It was a straight-up horror movie. I hated it. Yeah, but I, I just don't get, how did all of these other people survive it, though? You know, did they just sort of come to on their own, or did they hold their breath for longer? I, I Or do they, like, fake drowning? I'm not really sure what happened there yeah it's very bizarre and i don't like it and like i like being right about this gng stuff but like i don't like the method of being right it turns out like i guess this whole baptizing thing like worked and alice is fully fully into the cult she has absolutely no uh, care that betty saved her from dying or whatever she's just like oh yeah but like i'm fine now whatever no she's like i ascended she's like i almost died and i've ascended and we are all gonna be together and we are all going to the farm yeah and she's going to sell the house and um okay cool i mean so it's like I'm, a really nice house though i kind of think they shouldn't sell it but i'm assuming that uh well and the thing too is that they're probably gonna sell it and then give all the money to the farm too true i kind of think like it was a little weird when when she was talking about like oh and edgar told me there's only one thing left that's like holding me back i really thought she was gonna say betty and then was gonna like stab her or something but that didn't happen uh, i was kind of like looking forward to that not like because i want betty to be stabbed but i just thought like that was where we were going with this but guess not um because i do think like betty is definitely holding Alice back more than the house is 
Yeah, I don't, it's just very bizarre. And now it's like, is Betty going to be taken to the farm against her will? Or is she going to now be homeless and have to go live in Tent City with the servants? I hope she goes to the farm. I mean, if she's smart, like Jughead said, she would like just play along a little bit more, get to the farm and like take it down from the inside. Like, I think that's the smarter way to go about this. Yeah, but once she's there, like she's like in it and she might not be able to get out. But like once her mom is in the cult, like Betty's going to want to, like she's trying to take down the cult. So she has two options. She can either try to like sneak in and sabotage it or, or I mean not like sneak in and like, I don't know, take down Edgar. Or she can just like pretend to go along with it, not actually get sucked in. Like we've seen her with like the Griffins and Gargoyle stuff. She's not really susceptible to being influenced by things. So I think like she just sort of plays along. And she did that with Griffins and Gargoyles and that's how she took it down. She pretended to play along with it. And she just needs to do the same thing now. Oh well. But will she? Like I'm, I'm unsure. Like I'm just a little worried at what's gonna happen when she's, I literally just saw my mom almost die. Now my childhood home is gone. My college fund is gone. Everything is ruined. Like she could legitimately have a breakdown and actually fall like for the call. Didn't she get her college fund back? Wasn't that the whole thing? She like needed to get her dad didn't. to I sign I thought her dad refused thing. to sign it in the end, but I could be wrong. <sighs> I don't remember. If, I mean, if anything, all she has is this college fund that she currently can't touch. So that's a good point. All right. So let's talk about the title here of the episode. Requiem for a welterweight. First off, welterweight. Didn't know what that word was. So I had to look it up. A welterweight is a weight in, it's like a boxing class. So it's between lightweight and middleweight. And it says that it's in the amateur boxing scale. It ranges from 140 to 147 pounds or 63.5 and 67 kilograms. So that is, I guess, what Archie's class is supposed to be. Uh, makes sense though, like 140 pounds. I mean, he's like pretty, that's like pretty trim if he's supposed to be so muscular. But. Yeah, there's no way that he weighs that little. Yeah, well, I'm just trying to think because like my brother probably weighs like around 140, 145 pounds-ish, I'm guessing. But he's like, he's like definitely shorter than Archie, but he's also like, he's a runner. He's really, really trim. Like he's he's small. He's not like, like his muscles are not like chest in the way that Archie is trying to be. So I, I don't I don't know. I don't really know if that's like the actual class. I think they just liked using that title for whatever reason. Not sure why, because doing some research, there is nothing else named Requiem for a Welterweight. No, because there's Requiem for a Dream. Right. So there's Requiem for a Dream, which was a 2000 American psychological drama film. And it was about four different forms of drug addiction, which lead to each character being imprisoned in a world of delusion and reckless desperation that is subsequently overtaken by reality. Okay, so there's drug use and there's definitely a lot of people being sucked into the worlds of delusion in this episode so I guess that fits however I did also find there is an episode of MASH called Requiem for a Lightweight so oh that was another thing I found um so I think it's kind of definitely mixing these two titles together and that whole episode has to do with a boxing fight that one person is trying to cheat at by I think I'm coating their gloves in ether and then they eventually like make the fight a fair fight I don't really know anyway that kind of so that has the whole like cheating at boxing angle in there. So I think that those two things together is about as close as we're going to get to a reason for this title. Uh, we had several new characters introduced. We have Randy Ronson, who is slightly a comic book reference because oh. there is an Archie comic series called Katie Keene and Randy Von Ronson is a rival of Katie's boxer boyfriend, K.O. Kelly. So he is a boxer in a Archie comic related comic. We also get the 
full name for the governor, which is Donald Dooley. Could not find anything with that. Kurtz, the leader of the gargoyle gang, couldn't find any information on that one. And then Martha and Marigold, the two people from the farm that we were introduced to, were the other new characters. We did have two close but no cigars in this episode, though. Oh my gosh. So excited. First off, we have 23-hour fitness, which just makes me think, what hour are they closed during? Yeah, I, I wonder. Like, do you think it's, like, between midnight and 1? Maybe. Or it could be, like, 3 a.m. Like, who's going to the gym at 3 a.m.? Maybe, maybe some people stay up really late, like, until, like, 2 a.m. And, like, maybe some people get up really early, like, 4 a.m. But, like, 3 a.m.? I don't know. That would be my bet for what hour they're closed. And then my favorite one is the San Junipero water <laughs> that they're talking yes! about. Yes! Like, instead of Sa- San Pellegrino yeah. for, like, seltzer, it's about uh, the <laughs> best Black Mirror episode. Yeah, so I really loved that uh, San Junipero water. We have a couple reviews that I would like to read. Uh, it has been a little while because it's been two, almost Yeah, they gave weeks. us two weeks without an episode, which is crazy. Yeah, so this one was actually one that was related to a couple episodes ago, but we just hadn't had a chance to talk about it yet. So this is actually something that was sent to me on Twitter from Jordan, who was discussing the way that we were talking about the whole situation with Cheryl outing Moose and all of that kind of thing that happened. So Jordan says, I want to say that I loved the latest recap of Kowski Cast. Kirsten and yourself did a phenomenal job at discussing how Riverdale depicted LGBT people and homophobia. These problems that the show tried to portray did annoy me a little, seeing that it felt inauthentic to reality. I appreciate both of you for calling out the show for its flaws, especially when they deal with serious issues. Everything you two said on the podcast was exactly what I was thinking when I was thinking about the show in retrospect. Also, Archie is a frustrating character to deal with, and I love Bughead. Yes, thank you. Thank you for also loving Bughead. This is from Jordan from New Zealand. I am so, so happy that you sent us that long, long list. Um, Also, Jordan agrees with me that my notes on what is canon seem super reasonable, so there's no reason to be doubting me. He added that as a little sub Here's the thing. Jordan makes a lot of really great points about how we do a good job recapping and that we're good at calling (laughs) stuff out, but he is wrong about using ship names and that your list of what is canon is 100% accurate. Well, you can take it up with Jordan, but uh, Jordan, I have your back and we are in the same team on this one. Um, So thank you so much. That was really, really sweet. I'm really glad because I uh, always worry a little bit when we talk about controversial topics and I just want to make sure that we're covering them in a fair way considering that I am a, you know, straight woman who doesn't have that lens to look at it through. So I just want to make sure that we're doing, uh, you know, presenting things, I guess, in the most, in the best way possible. So thank you for that feedback. We also have a review from iTunes here and it is a five-star review titled A Must Listen for Riverdale Fans by Shelly Ann C. I had almost given up on the lunacy that is Riverdale season three until I found this podcast. Kirsten's real talk balanced with Mary's well-researched analysis is the perfect (laughs) antidote to this maelstrom of a third season. Their humorous takes help to make sense of the convoluted plot lines where possible. It's also fun to follow the rewatch of season one and remember the more innocent times. Love my girl Kirsten bringing the Canadian perspective as well. So Shelly from Canada wrote that. I just, I love, thank you Shelly. I love that you have well-researched analysis and they're like, Kirsten brings, um, uh, real talk. <laughs> hey, I think that's, uh, that's pretty much how we present the podcast. There's nothing I'm, wrong with that. Yeah, it's true. I'm never going to put in the well-researched analysis, <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> Seems fair. Seems fair. All right. Well, that's about it for this episode. You can feel free to send us things. You can direct message either of us on Twitter if you have a longer thing that you would like to write and can't add a review, but we would really appreciate it if you could add reviews to iTunes, uh, five stars, rate 
ratings and reviews would be very, very helpful. If you do this from another country, just send us a message noting which country you are from and I can look up the iTunes yeah. from that. Or send a screenshot of your review and then it's easier for everyone. That um, works too. If you, that's exactly right. Like you want attention just like Jordan and Shelly got, send the feedback, give us those five-star reviews, help someone else find our recap to help them through this maelstrom of a third season. <laughs> yeah, I would really like to build a little community here of people who like to watch Riverdale but maybe aren't like, you know, like they can realize that Riverdale has some flaws as well, which is, you know, we bring the real talk. Well, Kirsten does at least. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you just do well-researched analysis. No yeah. real talk for Mary That's over fine. here. Well, we'll be back next week or unless there is some kind of weird thing where Riverdale takes two weeks off, which I don't think they will. I need to look at this ahead of time so I stop promising people that we'll be back next week and then it's like, oh, JK, Riverdale's gone forever. So we'll be back next week for a recap of episode 14. Until then, you can follow me online at Frail Mary on every platform. And if you're interested, you can check out our Revenge Rewatch podcast that we do with my sister, Laura, on KowskiCast.com or our Riverdale season one recaps that we do also on KowskiCast.com. That's cow with a K. You can follow Kirsten at Kirsten Said What on all platforms as well. Other than that, I think that's pretty much it. We will see you next time. Bye, guys. Boxing definitely frowns on murder, 